Do you feel held back by things that you did? Do you feel like you don't like the person you were, but you're afraid you'll be that person forever? Welcome to episode 206 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Michelle and Tamsin. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Michelle and Tamsin, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Recently, I heard a couple of statements from different people that in my head said something to me about my recovery, and I hope they might say something to you about your recovery. The first, we are not defined by what we did or who we were. These are only the things that brought us to who we are now. And the second, this is who I am now, and I know I will be different later. Life is about the journey, not the destination. And I found a reading in the book Hope for Today, June 18th, which I think captures some of the sense of of these two statements. I struggled with the sixth step for two years before I finally got it. I was in the habit of blaming two particular people for all my problems. I would take turns detesting and obsessing about each of them instead of focusing on myself. During this time, I continued to work my way through the steps. By the time I got to step seven, I finally understood that the best way for me to recover was to change my attitudes. I prayed to my higher power to remove my obsession with others and to help me focus on myself. Many of my character defects improved as I continued to work my program, but I still struggled with keeping the focus on myself. One day, an Al-Anon friend gave me a coffee mug with a special prayer printed on it, reminding me to ask my higher power to remove my character defects. She knew about my struggles and thought seeing the prayer every day with my morning coffee might help. Every morning I saw that prayer, which encouraged me to practice Step 7 more intently. My friend's intentions didn't take too long to manifest. Within several days, I had a spiritual awakening. In this matter, as in all others, I had to submit to the God of my understanding. I realized that I had been praying, no, dictating, to my higher power which character defect I wanted removed most. As I finally surrendered, I knew in my heart what I needed to pray for. I asked to be relieved of whatever character defects prevented me from being God's channel for this one day. That reading, I think, speaks a little bit to my experience with steps six and seven, that it's about being ready to change, asking for the help that I need in that change, and also for me then, as we say, doing my footwork. But I want to come back to these statements. We are not defined by what we did or who we were. Those are only the things that brought us to who we are now. That one, to me, speaks also of expectations, expectations of who I think I am because of who I was, because of what I did. I must continue to be that same person. These are expectations that maybe sometimes unconsciously I hold on myself. Because in the past, I spoke to my wife in a particular way, then that's the person that I am. I'm, I'm the kind of person that speaks to my wife in that way. I'm the kind of person that interrupts whatever she says. I'm the kind of person that 
doesn't really pay attention to what she wants while giving lip service to doing so. That's the person that I was in the past. And so I have this mental image of myself and this expectation that this is how I will behave. And that makes it hard. It makes it harder for me to actually change. It makes it harder for me to make true amends as we are asked to do in step nine, to change my behavior so that I don't cause harm in the same way again is, is one of the ways in which I feel I need to make amends for a lot of these things. And if I hold these expectations of myself, then I will feel maybe that I can't change and I won't see the change that is actually happening. So my expectations of myself as a particular kind of person, as a person who acts in a particular way, as a person who treats others in a particular way, are shaped by my past. They're shaped by the experiences that I've had. The more insidious expectations, I think, are not the ones about how I act, but the ones about who I think I am, the kind of person I think I am, and the kind of person that for a long time I thought I was, was somebody that was not lovable, somebody that other people really didn't want to have around, that they just tolerated me being there. And, and I held this idea of myself, this expectation, despite evidence that it was not true. And once I had that picture of myself, it was really, really hard to, to see through that picture to what was true. I was listening to a podcast recently about emotions. In this podcast, they interviewed a researcher who said that emotions are not innate. Emotions are not the same for everybody, but they are shaped by the concepts that we have in our heads about the world and about ourselves and about other people. And that, to a large extent, the way in which these concepts shape our emotions are unconscious, but very powerful. And so if I have this concept of myself as not lovable, then when people treat me as if I am lovable, I think they're just doing it to be nice. It's not because I'm really a lovable person. And this is so damaging. It's damaging to my relationships. It's damaging to my soul. So I have these expectations. And one of the things that this program of recovery has brought me to see is that Sometimes my expectations of myself don't match my current reality. This expectation that I'm not a lovable person, that, that you, know, you don't want me to be around, that you would prefer if I would go away and leave you alone, that often that my, my current reality is not matched by these expectations. People are glad to see me. People want to include me. And so the program has helped open my eyes to see this, partly through the f sort of formal process of the steps, of the inventory, of sharing my sort of deepest, darkest secrets with another person and having them not reject me for that. Feeling that acceptance and that unconditional love in, that, in the fifth step of admitting to another person the exact nature of my wrongs. And partly through the experience of being in meetings, of each of us sharing our own experience and of feeling the acceptance of who I am as I share honestly about my hopes, my fears, my defects, and my assets. And feeling and sometimes explicitly hearing that acceptance from other people, maybe after a meeting somebody comes up and says something about what I shared and how it touched them and how they 
connect with it, understanding that my insides don't match your outsides, but sometimes our insides match each other very well. Just sort of opening my eyes to the reality that I'm not uniquely worse than everybody else, which is often the way that I felt. I can know, I can know that my expectations do not match the current reality if I continue to take that inventory, if I continue to look openly and honestly at my life, if I continue to utilize the tools of the program, utilize a sponsor, utilize prayer and meditation, that meditation sitting there, letting the thoughts come and go without holding on to them is sometimes the best way for me to start to hear the true voice of my myself and of my current experience. Another program tool that can help me to see how I have changed, how I don't match my vision of myself from my past, is to look at the things in my life that I'm grateful for, the small things, the big things. I'm grateful that I will be starting to work with a a small group, starting in a couple of days, to work with a small group of people on studying and working through the 12 steps together. The gratitude that I would be asked to join the group, the gratitude that I'm accepted. Because, again, there's this feeling that I'm not worthy, that you don't really want me. And and to be asked, to be accepted, is a powerful, a powerful tool for me to see that that's not true. I can be grateful for the closeness that I have with my wife when for so many years I put up a wall, I pushed her away because of the actions during her drinking. And it took me a long time to feel safe to take that wall down. And I'm grateful that that's happening. I'm grateful that although I don't always agree with my kids' decisions, they share them with me openly and honestly. They ask me for help in making decisions. They ask me for help in supporting them emotionally that we we have a good relationship with each other. I'm grateful for that. My relationship with them has certainly changed since they were infants or young children. We've been able to move with that change. I don't continue to hold the image of me as a parent of a three-year-old who needs constant attention, who needs to be physically protected from doing stupid things. Because if I continue to hold that image, wow. I would be miserable. I would be frantic. And that's that's not the person I want to be. But I really think the most powerful tool for me in seeing change is taking inventory, stepping back and looking, as I said, stepping back and looking and saying, how, how am I today? How is this part of me today? It's one of the reasons I like my my fourth step meeting that only happens once a month, but it's it's really powerful to look at where I am now, and to do it in the company of the community of loving strangers that we are in an Al-Anon meeting. Very powerful. There are tools that I learned in this program that really helped me to be, to move on that journey toward a person that I like better, toward a person that I, that I want to be. And I think I will always have aspirations for myself that are past, if you will, who I am that beckon me further down the path. 
but I, I know how to find the path. I know that there's, there's more than one path. It's not the path, but there, there is a way to change in this program. One of the tools that has helped me to move away from the past is the tool of detachment. And we talk a lot about detaching from our loved one who has the disease of alcoholism or addiction, detaching from their behaviors and while continuing to love them. But I can also use that detachment tool to love the past me who did things that I'm horrified that I did in, in some cases. The, the past me who really offended a close friend who decided that we couldn't be friends anymore. And this has happened to me more than once in my life. And for years, I would look back and just berate myself and say, stupid, stupid, stupid. How could you have been so stupid? And I can still feel that, but I can also detach from that emotion that was in the past, those actions that were in the past. And I can look back and see myself as an, as an imperfect human being who was trying to find some connection and being somewhat inept at finding that connection and hurting someone else in the process. And I can detach from who I was, love who I was, and be who I am, and not have to be that person anymore. The reading that I opened with talks about uh, steps six and seven. Step six says, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And step seven says, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Those are the, the tools that the program gives us to make change in our lives. They're so simple in their statements. They're so powerful in their impact. I didn't understand the first time I worked through these steps. I did not really understand steps six and seven. Six was, hey, here's this list of stuff that I made for step five. I want it gone. Okay, and I want it gone. So I'm done with step six. Yay. Now step seven. Hey, God, take it away, please. Bye. Now I can move on to making that list of people that I've harmed. Ooh, don't want to do that. Well, we'll just sit for a little while. What I came to understand later through experience, through reading, through listening, through listening to other people's experiences with steps six and seven, is that for me, step six is a working step. There, There is work there. It just says we're entirely ready. Like, hey, yeah, boom, happens. For me, that takes a little bit of work. I have to really come to own and accept that I have these defects. I have to accept that they're part of me to stop denying their presence, to stop minimizing them. In that owning, I can find the humility to ask for change, to say, yes, this really is part of me, and I really want it gone, which is step seven. Step seven is a letting go step for me. It's letting go of who I was and accepting that I will become a different person. But I don't know how, I don't know when, and I don't know exactly what I'm going to be. I just know that I will be different. I accept that, that the possibility of change. And then I look for opportunities to practice new ways of being. And to me, that is the work of step seven, the letting go and the practicing new behavior. That my higher power is acts in my life 
most often in a very subtle way. My higher power gives me opportunities to practice new behaviors and removes blocks in my self that make it harder for me to practice these new behaviors. And that's most clear to me in the context of fear, that when I have asked for a certain fear to be removed, what I found was, and this was a fear of, of doing something, a fear of finding out something, I found that I was able to do different behavior without the fear stopping me. And the more I did the new behavior, the easier it got. And that particular fear of fear of bad news, I guess, is a sort of a general way of putting it. That fear is still present. And I found myself practicing that fear in a, in a, in a low grade way last week. I've been in a discussion, shall we say, in conversation with my insurance company about a particular set of expenses that they really should be paying. And they have been saying, Oh, well, we don't, we don't think you qualify for this. And because of thus and thus and thus and thus, and the things they're saying are not true, but for some reason they hadn't gotten the right, uh, the right data from my healthcare provider. And so I was back and forth between the insurance company and the doctor and the other provider and finally got somebody at the insurance company who was sort of following through on my case and, and giving me periodic calls to update me. And they were always like, no progress. I did this and this and this and, and nothing has happened. And so last week I got a call and I was in a meeting, so I let it go to voicemail. And then I forgot about it. And it came the end of the day and I was getting ready for bed and I was like, oh, I have a voicemail. But if it's bad news, I don't want to listen to it right before I go to bed because it'll make it harder for me to get to sleep and make my sleep restless. So I won't listen to it. And then I forgot about it again. And then I think a couple of days later, I got another call and that also went to voicemail because I was again at work in a meeting and couldn't take it right away. But later in the day, I said, Oh yeah, I really should follow up on this. And I looked at it and I was like, Yay, we've got what we need and we've approved uh, the payments and you should be seeing that shortly. And I was like, Why didn't I look at this earlier? Because that fear. That fear of bad news, although it wasn't paralyzing, it was enough to, to have me not listen to the voicemail earlier. So it's still there. I can have this experience of practicing, like, okay, this time when I played it, it was good news. Okay, so that fear didn't even play out. Maybe next time it'll be a little easier to look at it earlier. The other place in the steps where, for me, change lies, the motivation for change, the opportunity for change, and the and the practice of change is in the amends steps, and that's clearly step eight and step nine. Step eight is made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. A lot of my amends, the true lasting amend, aside from directly talking to a person and saying, I did this thing, I hurt you in this way, and this is how I'm going to, to make amends for that. I'm sorry, and I'm going to make amends. But the practice of the amends is in changing my behavior. I can't go back and fix what I did. I mean, there are some things like financial amends where, yeah, you pay off the debt. I pay off the debt. But there are many others, as in the way that, that I treated my wife when I saw her as broken person during the active phase of her alcoholism the ways in which I treated her as less than. The only true amends I can make for those is to stop doing that, to start honoring her wants and needs as if they were my own, in listening attentively 
when she speaks, in not interrupting, in not imposing my will. Those are the, those are the things that I can do to really make amends for that behavior. I have gratitude that the program gives me tools to do that. It gives me the awareness to see. It gives me support of a higher power in practicing the new ways of being, of acting. Step 10, I also include in this group because step 10 continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it, allows me to make more immediate amends, to not pile up debt, to continue to change. That when when I react in anger, to see it more quickly, to maybe sometimes even see it while it's happening or before before my reaction happens. To have that pause button that we talk about where I can pause for a moment and consider whether the thing that I'm about to do or the thing that I'm about to say is actually appropriate. These are ways in which I can be not the person that I was. I can be not defined by my past actions. Those, those actions brought me to where I am, but they are not me. They don't have to be me anymore. A core element of the program that really supports me in this path of change is finding connection with a power greater than myself to be an emotional and a spiritual support for these changes. Because change is scary. If I don't know who I'm going to be, if I can't see what's ahead on the path as it goes around a corner, I can be scared. I can be not wanting to take those steps to see what's around that corner. And finding a connection with a power greater than myself gives me a really mixed metaphor here, but it gives me a place to stand as I walk on the path. It gives me a way to center, a way to not be off balance as I turn that corner. And so step 11 is increasingly important in, in my journey. And I've talked about journey in this, the second statement that I heard. It sort of follows on really that who I am now, who I will be, and that my life is my recovery is a journey that there is not a destination. There is not a place that I will get to in my life that everything will be right for me. But what I know is I can keep putting one foot in front of the other one day at a time, making changes just for today, and that wonders will await me down the road. We have some slogans that reflect this idea, and I've picked out just a few of them about Understanding that life is a journey and finding serenity, finding peace in that idea. And the key concept, which, although we say it a lot, is not one of the 12 slogans that's listed in our book, How Al-Anon Works, but it's progress, not perfection, progress rather than perfection. The idea that we will, we are not and will not be perfect and that's okay because we can make progress. We can change to be more the person we want to be, to be a person who finds it easier to move through life, to be a person who is afraid less, who is sad less, who has serenity more. And all these tools of gratitude, of practicing inventory and acceptance of self, openness to change, making amends, actually following through with those changes, and continuing to connect with a power greater than ourselves. All of those help us to live this, live this statement of progress rather than perfection. Easy does it is another slogan. We 
although we are on a journey, we don't have to push it. We don't have to rush our way to the top of the mountain. And I don't know if you've had this experience of going up a mountain and you see what appears to be the peak ahead of you. And when you get there, you discover that it's not the top. It's just a little shoulder on the way and that there's more up and there's another apparent peak ahead. And when you get there, well, guess what? It's not the peak either. But if I am totally focused when I'm, when I'm climbing that mountain on getting to the top, I forget to enjoy the experience, the things around me, the way in which the landscape changes, the plants, the flowers, the rocks, the sky. And if I take it easy, if I, if, if I apply easy does it to this journey, then instead of striving towards the peak, I will enjoy the journey. I will find the journey to be worth the day. Which brings me, of course, to one day at a time. I can only do today what I can do today. I can't change everything in one day, but I can take a small step forward today. I can take a small step in one direction. I can apply. I can practice a new way of being and acting in a small way today. And that moves me on my journey. And sometimes, sometimes it feels like the journey is backwards. Again, with the, the mountain analogy, you know, I get to that, that ridge and oh my, the path goes down on the other side, and then it goes up again. Well, that's the path that I have to walk. I can't walk through the air to to not go down. And so sometimes it seems like things are not not doing not going in the direction I want them to. But maybe that's just the path that I have to follow. That is the journey that I have to take. I maybe have to learn again, as I did with the voicemail last week. I have to learn that when I give in to that fear. I also often postpone the good news as well as, and, and, you know, postponing the bad news doesn't make it not true. And postponing the good news just puts off that relief that I felt when I, when I finally saw it, when I finally heard it. Where are you on your journey and what tools, what support have you found in the program for recognizing that you are not the person that you were, you are not defined by your past actions? And that you can change to be more the person you want to be, maybe more the person that you like. Where are you in your journey? I want to close with a reading from the book, How Al-Anon Works. This is from the chapter of the 12 steps and sort of the introduction to the steps. We have embarked upon an extraordinary, potentially life-changing spiritual journey, the journey of recovery from the effects of alcoholism. Every step we take on this journey moves us forward, becoming more fully the men and women we are capable of being. But we needn't wander aimlessly, struggling on our own without direction to find our way. Alanon's 12 steps show us the way. Through the steps, we can fill the empty place within us where loneliness and pain reside. We come alive in a way we have never experienced before. We realize that we belong and that we are loved. I had fun finding music for this episode. I want to start with a song by the Allman Brothers, and this is partly in honor of Greg Allman, who died recently, as I'm recording this podcast. The song is Change My Way of Living. Seems very appropriate. Some lyrics here. I've got to change my way of living, because trouble's all that I can see. I've got to change my way of living. Lord, trouble's all that I can see. My life is in such a mess. There ain't no one to blame but me. That is certainly where I was Maybe how I felt, and maybe I didn't even 
recognized the need to change. Trouble was all I could see. My life was such a mess. And maybe I was blaming other people, but that's where I was. It's a great song. You can enjoy it on our website at therecovery.show slash 206206. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. I had the joy on Sunday of attending an annual service at church where the ninth grade youth who have been spending the year exploring what they believe, exploring how they live in the world, learning about dying, learning about how to respond, how they might respond to peer pressure, performing acts of service in the community, and and exploring their beliefs, exploring their values, trying to answer the question, what do I believe? What are my values? So they spend a year at this activity with their teachers, and each of them is paired with an adult mentor who can help them on their individual exploration and can provide that companionship of an adult who is not a parent that I believe is so important to youth in their mid-teens, in their mid and late teens, where they're, they're breaking loose of their parents, but they, they still really crave connection with adults as they're trying to learn what it means to be an adult. Anyway, as they start on this journey, at the end of the year, we ask each of them to stand up in the pulpit and to talk to that question, what do I believe? What are my values? It's, it's always for me a very, a very moving experience to see the quality of our youth, to see their, their thoughtfulness, their energy, their humor, and all of the different ways in which they approach life. And it was actually in this service that I heard those two statements from two different people that really struck me that I knew that was what I had to talk about today. That was something, that was something that, you know, I came back to church after having been unchurched for over a quarter of a century. I came back when I was in the beginning of my recovery journey. And there I found a community and a spiritual connection that I didn't know I had been missing. And that is a gift of recovery that I'm there, and it's a gift of recovery that I'm there to hear the promise in these young people's lives. We'll be starting in the next couple of days uh, another journey with a small group of people as we explore the steps. I talked about that earlier. Our first meeting is coming up, and in, in that meeting I expect, expectations, I expect that we will spend some time talking about how we want to be together, the way in which we want to do this work, uh, and questions that have come up in the past Two times I have done this is, are we really working through the steps? Are we going to take as long as it takes? Or maybe we're going to be on a schedule and do one step per month or something, and, and it will be more of a study group rather than a working group. I don't know. This is a question that has come up. Both times that I've done it before, we have committed to working the steps, and, and both times it took, I think, a couple of years for us to get, get through. How often we want to meet how we want to be in the meeting. Do we want to 
have discussion? Do we want to have crosstalk or do we feel safer in just sharing our own answers without any discussion? That's gone both ways for me in the past. And that's something that often I've found often twice. I've found changes as the group grows together. So those are some of the questions that I expect we'll talk about and uh, maybe we'll get started in uh, our study of, of step one. We'll see. So I'm looking forward to that and I'll be letting you, letting you hear how that goes. An upcoming topic is those three P's, perfection, paralysis, and procrastination. If you have experience to share on the three P's, send us an email, drop us a voicemail, and join our conversation. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can call right now if you want. You can also use the voicemail button, which is on the website, to join the conversation from your computer. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We would love to hear from you. What is your experience of your journey? What do you know about perfection, paralysis, and procrastination? Please share your voice with us. Our website, which is therecovery.show, has all the information about the show, and in particular, we have notes for each episode, the outline that we work from, links to the music that we talk about, and links to other resources that we talk about. Second song that I chose, Tough Choices Here. The song is by Sam Cooke, Change is Gonna Come. I like the rendition by Otis Redding, and so that's the one that I have chosen for putting on the website. The song is about about change, as you might imagine. And just a few lyrics here. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die because I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know a change going to come. Oh, yes, it will. And again, that's the promise of our program, that change will come, even though it's been a long, hard time. few of you sent email this week. We got one from Chris. Thank you for this podcast. You've been an encouragement in my daily life, as well as your contributors. I struggle daily with perfectionism and paralysis from overanalyzing situations and feelings, and with trusting my higher power to help me be the person I am meant to be. Holy Chris. I don't really know me, and your podcasts and guests' experiences resonate in my mind and heart. I pray every day to be more myself than who I think I should be, and accept myself as imperfect and good enough. I'm growing. That is enough for today, Chris. And, and thank you, Chris. I, I feel like this, this email just expresses so succinctly what I've been talking about today and maybe the questions that one faces in that journey. So thanks for that, Chris. And also just a little bit of a look forward to three Ps. Deborah writes, hi there. I think I've saved this email as a draft in my mind for a good amount of time, always meaning to send it, but then I get anxiety about sending it or some other poor excuse that pops into my head. My ex-boyfriend is the initial reason I started listening to this podcast, as his drinking became out of control. His increased drinking made him a different person, and this person decided it was best to end our relationship. Of course, as someone who grew up in a family that did not drink but also does not know how to confront problems head-on and be proactive, I was... And, let's be real, am still a mess and still trying to heal months afterwards. I went to a couple of Al-Anon meetings post-breakup, but as soon as I found your podcast, I've never slept better, 
And I'm also finding myself learning not just more about my qualifier, but also about myself. I am not alone, and that brings me so much comfort. I wanted to tell you thank you. I'm incredibly grateful to you and your podcast. Each episode is always so helpful in growing me, even when the residual effects of ending a relationship with my qualifier is a day-to-day battle with my emotions. Thank you. You give me strength. Best, Deborah. And again, that reflection of, of getting to know herself, of growing, which is the journey, is growth, and living day to day, one day at a time, dealing with those emotions, those feelings one day at a time, is the only way that I know how to do it. That every day, maybe I feel them a little bit less, they have a little bit less strength to affect me today. Layla writes, Hi, Recovery Show team. I listened slowly and just finished episode 194. I need to share my spiritual experience tonight while finishing up the episode. Background, my husband and I are struggling with infertility for the past four and a half years. We are embarking on fertility treatment this year and I'm having a lot of personal quandary regarding what is forcing the issue and God's will. I've been praying a ton for God to bring clarity and haven't gotten a clear answer to what our next steps are. Here's where y'all come in. The end of this episode... There was an email talking about alcoholism as a disease. Spencer, your feedback was spot on. Recognizing alcoholism as an illness of the body, mind, and spirit. Also, recalling Father Tom's analogy of alcoholism being like a gorilla. Just made so much sense to me. Then, what I heard next was that if someone had cancer, diabetes, or schizophrenia, they had the responsibility to treat it, to show up and treat their illness. At that point, I could no longer breathe and was stuck with my prayer's answer. Infertility is a disease. I have a legitimate dis-ease of my body. I'm being given an opportunity to treat it, and it is my responsibility to do so. I am just so amazed at God's synchronous timing that on this day I would be listening to a podcast from March that would lend itself to my answer. I feel clear about the next steps and trusting what's to come. Thank you for being yet another vehicle in my recovery where my higher power shows up. Layla. I'm glad that I was the channel for that message. I'm grateful to be the channel for that message, Layla. It is tough. It is tough. We also went through several phases of fertility treatment before our children were born. At every step, that question came up again for us. Do we want to take this next step? And if this doesn't work, then what comes after? And do we want to take that? And we had to take each step consciously. We had to make a decision to take each step. We we didn't say, once we're on this journey, we're on it till we're done. At each point, we were we, we asked ourselves, are we willing to take the next step? And for us, there were only actually a few steps that, that we had to take before we were blessed with pregnancy, which was not an easy pregnancy. And we were blessed with the two children that we still have. You know, making that step from taking pills to giving injections was one that we had to think about. Am I willing to stick a needle in my wife's back every morning? Or was it twice a day? I don't remember now. We decided to do that. And had that not worked, and I'm not sure what the next step would have been at that point, we again would have been asking ourselves, is this something we want to do? Is this something we're capable of doing? Is this something we're willing to do? And so that was our journey. This was well before recovery, but giving ourselves the freedom at each point to say, do we want to take the next step? Are we willing? Are we able? was important. Andrea left a comment on Corey L's open talk. She writes, thank you so much for this episode. I really enjoyed the open talk and I relate to the first voicemail. 
It's just what I needed to hear this week. Thank you. And that first voicemail she refers to was from Carrie, who wrote about the adult children episode and about the body episode. So thanks. Thanks, Andrea. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Michelle and Tamsin did, and thank you again, Michelle and Tamsin, for your contributions. We have a list of recovery-related books. Click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or by listening to us. We are here for you. And the last song I picked is by the Indigo Girls. I may have played this one before, but I like it a lot. It's Closer to Fine. And the whole song is about the journey and and not not getting to fine, not getting to perfection, but getting closer. Here's a, Here's a verse. I went to the doctor. I went to the mountains, I looked to the children, I drank from the fountains. There's more than one answer to these questions, pointing me in a crooked line. And the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to find. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding love and peace grow in you one day at a time.